Assalamu alaikum everyone. Hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal today. We are back at it again. This is episode one, take two of the yet to be unnamed podcast. Uh, and my name is Yasin Arshad and I want to go ahead and introduce my co-host. My name is Sohail. And as Yasin said, we attempted this last week and uh, due to de- technical difficulties, it it uh, it didn't really end that well, so uh, we're giving it a yeah. second go this week to uh, start over. So, mm-hmm. as you said, part one, take two. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, if you want to give some pre- premise of why we're going ahead and doing this, or what the idea of this yeah. podcast is. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we touched on it um, earlier. Really, the reason that we're really putting our voices out there and kind of publishing is because so Hale and I. At being two guys, you know, being raised in as Muslims in the West, what we realized is that there isn't a lot of voices of people who are not so much, um, you know, sitting in the masajid or like, you know, having like the very, you know, big beer turban. I don't know if I'm going to get some flack on saying that out loud in the podcast. But the point being is that there's not a lot of Muslim voices that are out there talking about contemporary topics specifically related to productivity goal achievement um, related to just going out there and actually having a real world understanding of the dunya because whenever Muslims are out there talking about life it's typically just like in the religious context and but obviously we are not just people who are sitting in the masjid and talking about Quran and deen all the time we're also people who have real world goals we have careers we have ambitions we have professions and so really Sohail and I had this idea where we said you know what Let's put this podcast together and it's going to just start off with me and Sohail as buddies just kind of talking about topics that come to our minds and then we'll kind of see where this takes us. And so if you guys have any input, especially with our name, because like I said, we are yet to be, we are an unnamed podcast. And so if you guys have any input, any topics you guys would like for us to talk about, if you guys have any, um, maybe you guys want to come on as guests, I'm sure maybe Sohail, we can figure that out from a technical side as well. And so uh, that's kind of where we are in terms of wanting to start this podcast. Yeah, and as Yasin said, um, and as you can tell, we are doing this over call as of right now, but uh, inshallah, maybe in the future, we'll have a face-to-face conversation. Um, obviously, there's quarantine right now, and uh, not to dox myself, but my parents are a little more uh, on the skeptical side, so right now we're going to stick with this format, and if you have any feedback, if you have any um, comments, concerns, anything that kind of hinders the quality of this, just let us know, and uh, we'll go ahead and try to make sure that that's fixed. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, Yasin, we were talking about something right before the podcast. If you want to go ahead and yeah, dive into that. Yeah, totally, totally. So we were talking about, we were kind of spitballing before we started our recording here today. And we were talking about a topic that has been very relevant on my mind as I'm working on helping a number of my own clients kind of break through their own limiting beliefs and kind of just re reinvent themselves as they as they try and start different businesses as they try and start uh, overcoming different obstacles in their life and the concept that has been on the forefront of my mind is the concept of achieving your goals through the means of identity shifting now it seems like it's that's even just saying that out loud i can hear my the words leaving my mouth and it sounds like identity shifting it sounds like some kind of chameleon, mystic, Transformation. mysterious. Yeah, there you go. Like you're some caterpillar emerging from the cocoon and you're about to become a different identity. But the reason why this is on my mind is because I fundamentally believe that at the core of being able to achieve anything in the dunya, it has to start with you reinventing yourself 
because who you are today is not going to be able to take you to where you want to go. What got you to where you are right now is not the same thing that is going to get you to where you want to go. If it was, then you would already have what it is that you want. And so whether that be your skill set, your habits, your ways of thinking, your behaviors, overall, who you are as an individual at a very core level, in my opinion, needs to drastically evolve and grow and shift if you want to make it to the next era of your life. And so that's really the concept and the topic that Sohail and I had in mind to touch base on today. And so um, that's kind of the introduction of it. Sohail, do you have any specific idea where we want to take it? Yeah, so... I guess when I first got introduced to this concept of identity molding, identity shifting, a lot of people use different words for it. Um, the one thing that kind of made it not iffy for me, but I feel like for these kind of things, I'm personally, I'm a little skeptical about only because it sounds very abstract. And when I personally don't see a concrete method of doing so, it kind of feels like, I don't want to say fluff, but it feels like very high level. So but as you read more into it, you kind of realize that this is more of a like a mindset kind of thing. So I guess just to lead off of that, what would you say identity sh shifting is in a in a more practical sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you're I think you're a thousand percent right that when most people talk about it, it is a very uh, abstract, a very theoretical concept. And that's one of the things that it's totally against my own personality to be somebody who leans on like woo-woo abstract kind of things. And so for me, I'm, I, I, I like to think of myself as a very practical person. And so even when I talk to talk about this concept with my clients, I have worksheets that go along with this and I kind of break this down into a very scientific process. So let me kind of give you the introduction for this. And so in any scenario in life where you are trying to figure out how to achieve XYZ goal, if you're trying to get anywhere, like if you get into your car and you're like, okay, let's go on a road trip. The very first question that you have to ask yourself is, okay, where are we going? What is it that we're actually trying to achieve? So that is question number one, which you have to first ask yourself is like, what am I trying to achieve? Because the bottom line is that if I don't have a clear understanding of what I am trying to achieve, the chances of you getting there are literally zero. And so um, like if I get into a car and I'm like, okay, I wanna go on a road trip, what are the chances that you're gonna arrive at your destination? Zero, because you haven't defined a destination. Like it's literally impossible that you can get to a destination if you haven't defined a destination. And so the very first step comes in terms of defining your goal and your vision very, very specifically. And so let's say, for example, um, if I'm helping a client who is currently a nine to five employee and there's somebody who wants to open up their own business, the very first thing that they might define as their dream is I want to open up my own business. What would be business that is generating for me $5,000 a month in revenue, for example. So that's number one, the what is defined. The second thing that we then do as a practical sense is we then ask ourselves, why is it that we want to have this dream, this what that we want, why is it that we want it? So that's the second question that we ask ourselves. And the reason we ask ourselves that question is because that allows us to have a core emotional driver for when the going gets tough, we have a reason behind why it is that we're going through all of this uh, difficulty so we can actually get to where it is that we want to go. And then finally, and this is the topic that we're discussing now, is we ask ourselves, who do I need to become in order to make this dream life or in order to make this what a reality? And so when you approach it in those three contexts and you approach it in that lens, you can very much like scientifically define this. What? You just open a Google Doc, 
you put in a couple of pictures of what it is that you want, or you kind of put, hey, I want to achieve a business that generates for me $5,000. Why do I want it? I want to have a better quality of life for my family. I want to be able to provide for my parents so they don't have to work anymore, da, 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 whatever it does for you. And then who do I need to become in order to achieve this? This is where identity shifting comes into place, where you then have to ask yourself, who is the Sohail or who is the Yasin that is going to effortlessly be able to build a business that does $5,000 a month in revenue, like in his sleep? And so then you start to come up with the picture like, okay, that Sohail probably has to like, or that Yasin has to probably put himself out there. So I need to probably overcome my fear of speaking in public. Um, that Yasin probably has to like sell. And so right now I have this limiting belief that I am not a salesperson. So obviously if I want to achieve this, what? I have to become somebody who can sell. And so therefore that adds another layer of characteristic of the who I'm becoming. And so you basically just map out, okay, what are all the character traits? What are all the behaviors? What are all the habits? What are all the routines? What are all the ways of thinking? What is even the appearance of what that person has to look like? Right? So if I look like a, if I look like this, uh, like a slob right now, because I'm like, maybe like, a, let's say for example, I'm like a coder who works in a basement all day long and I want to all of a sudden become a business person, <laughs> right? And normally I don't have to care about how I look. Hey, maybe, uh, you know, I have to actually start caring about how I look in terms of being able to achieve what I want to have. So that's what comes to my mind in terms of making it very practical is identity shifting comes down to mapping out those three questions and then mapping out all of the characteristics, behaviors, ways of thinking, habit that would require you to get to where you want to go. No, I like that. And I think especially for that first point about what you want to do or where you want to go, there's uh, sometimes a hindrance to even get to that point is trying to figure out like what your purpose in life is, right? That's like the, that's like the go-to thing of like, okay, what do I even want to do? Um, and yeah. I came across this YouTuber, Chris Doe, and he talks about this concept of Ikigai, I believe that's how it's mm -hmm. pronounced. I don't want to uh, butcher it, but Basically, the concept yeah. is, at least from what I understand, you can correct me, is that you sit down. Similarly, the way you talked about when you're wanting to change who you are, you outline what it is that you want your future self to be doing. And so in the same manner, just to figure out what you want to be doing with your life in a very uh, high level sense, you write, draw out these four circles in a similar way that you would for a Venn diagram. But it's two Venn diagrams like this. And each of the circles would have four different questions in them that you answer individually. One of them is, what is it that you love to do? Another one is, what can you get paid for? Or what, are you, what can you get paid for that you can do? A third one is, what are you good at? And then a fourth one is, what does the world need? And so mm -hmm. the, the mixture of all of this is you have, you figure out what your passion is. You figure out what realistically can get you money in life because we we all need that and what is something that's fulfilling because from what i've seen is that a lot of people will get the the three components the what are you good at what do you want or um what are you passionate about and what makes you money but they'll leave out the the what does the world need and that kind of mm -hmm. takes the the fulfillment out of whatever it is you're doing um and this is just something that i've not a master of this. I literally came across it and I'm personally doing um, to kind of figure out what exactly it is that I want to be doing with my life. And just to get to that first step that you mentioned of figuring out what your purpose is long term, that's a solid way of outlining those things and then starting that journey of defining who you want to be. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I've noticed is that really 80 to 90% of the battle is just being being able to identify what that what is, right? What it, What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? Because most people have no idea what it is that they actually want. And I'm telling you, like the battle and this entire journey becomes so much easier when you can just identify like, hey, this is what I want. And um, what I've always, what, when I was younger, and I say younger as if like I'm an old man, but uh, when I was younger in my earlier 20s, the biggest advice that I took to heart is that the only way I would ever know what it is that I actually enjoyed was if I actually tasted enough things. And so for me, it was just a matter of doing as many things as possible. So that way I could be exposed to all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different activities, all sorts of different work styles, all sorts of different workplaces. Because unless you actually experience those things, in my opinion, it's been very difficult for me to kind of identify what are my strong suits, what are the things that I'm weak in, and really what are the things that I enjoy doing. And so I think you're 100% right. It's kind of like that journey of finding your ikigai, because once you find it, I promise you the entire journey becomes so much easier. Mm -hmm. And that, that for me personally, that was a huge motivation for wanting to actually go ahead with the podcast. Just dip your yeah. toe and dip your foot, dip your toe, dip your foot. I'm going to say dip your yeah. foot. Dip your foot into as many different buckets as you can, even if there is like a initial kind of fear of starting just for the sake of, hey, not having regrets in the future and kind of outlining what those things are. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, the... What a lot of the older generation, and I want to make this a little bit Muslim specific because I'm sure that the vast majority of our audience is Muslim, is that I've heard a lot of people misconstrue the concept of, oh, in Islam, we shouldn't be able to like have a passion or we shouldn't chase what it is that we love. And where this comes from, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and especially in the older generation. So there's two, there's two places that this comes from. The first thing that people mix up is that they're worried that if they tell their children or if they tell the younger generation to uh, do what they love or have a passion or like, um, oh, if you don't love it, then you shouldn't do it. What the older generation, what they, what they think this means is that, oh, that means that if you don't love salah, you shouldn't do it. That means that, oh, if I don't love fasting, I shouldn't do it. And so therefore, they're worried that if they tell their children like, oh, if you don't love it, then you shouldn't do it. They, that's why they keep saying like, oh, if you don't love it, you still have to do it. Because they're, they're worried that if that mentality starts to seep into the deen, then it's going to be like the child will say, oh, but I don't love fasting. I don't love praying. I don't love this, these things that I do. Therefore, I don't want to do it. And that is what their subconscious fear is, even though they don't properly say it or they don't properly articulate it, which uh, no hard feelings, previous generation, but you guys aren't exactly the best communicators in the world in, in separating ideas. But the point being is that sometimes they use this logic and they try and put it on us as the younger generation to say, hey guys, like, no, even if you don't love something, you should still push through and do it. That's one thing. Second thing is that the previous generation, they were lived, they were raised in a time, especially those who were immigrants, where even if they didn't love something, they didn't have the luxury to decide if they wanted to continue it or not. And so because of that, when they look at us as, 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 as their children or the second generation, they're like, decision, passion, uh, like, what do you want to do? What are you talking about? Like, like, like that's not a thing. Like, I came to this country. I didn't want to have to, you know, do X, Y, Z, but I had to do it because I had to put food on the table. And so this whole concept of passion or ikigai or really figuring out what it is that I want to do, it's very lost to the previous generation. And so I just want to urge anybody who's out there who's maybe a little bit younger or even older, but I know that definitely when I was in my teens or early 20s, 
this was absolutely something that I struggled with, which was the previous generation's judgment or the previous generation's pressure to conform and not have to care about what it is that I do. But you just have to realize that we're being raised in a very different time and a very different generation. And as long as you're aware of that and not let pressures like beat you up too much, like we're here for you. Just message Sohail and I, don't worry. We can, we can make like a pack or like a gang or something. But um, you show disrespect, like don't, don't obviously be disrespectful to them, but at the same time, don't feel like you have to go down a specific path because they said so. That's interesting. I never thought of the dunya, like don't follow your passion or don't do it unless you don't love it, kind of seeping into the deen. I've never, I've never thought of that, that dynamic. Was there anything like specifically that kind of led to that or was that just like a general realization? over time yeah um i because i specifically had a teacher of mine when i was growing up so the first 12 years of my adult life i was basically studying dean and like being in a dean setting and so i had a teacher of mine who um he was trying to give like career advice um and so he was like no like you should you know become a doctor become medicine and then this whole concept of like we were pushing back and no we want to follow our passion we want to do this and then that same night one night he would have the halaqa and then he like said um in deen, there's no passion. In deen, there's no like, you do things because you want to do them. You do them because it's the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you have to do them that way. And so he was kind of using this as, I don't want to say like manipulation, but he was trying to use this as like, stop trying to have a passion in life and just like you have to just do things. And it's also evidence from the deen that has that. Now, in my opinion, it was completely wrong of him to try to use the deen for that because obviously we have a separation where in the deen we are the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's hukam, there's ibadah, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's faraid. Our concept and understanding of ikigai and passion and the thing that provides fulfillment, that is what we talk about from the dunya perspective. But it should never, ever, ever contaminate its way over to the deen perspective because there is an obligation that we have there. And so I think maybe it's... I guess it's valid for us to mention here because I, I can see where somebody could hijack this concept and take this concept of ikigai and be like, okay, it applies also, I'm going to do only for the deen also now, where if I don't love it, if I'm not passionate about it, there's no reason I'm going to force, force myself to do it. Mm, no, that makes sense. Interesting. Okay. So in terms of identity shifting, um, I guess one thing I kind of wanted to, to touch upon was in a, in a more practical way of achieving this. I came across a podcast, not a podcast. It was Tim Ferriss's podcast with Hugh Jackman. And are you you're a fan of Hugh Jackman? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> bro, what is it? Uh, Wolverine, bro. Oh yeah. You, okay. You Have you watched The Prestige? Oh, the um, the, I've watched The Prestige. It's a very. It's like a. Is that the one where there's like two twin? Like there's two versions of themselves. Yes. And he's a magician. Don't, don't, don't smile. Don't, don't oh, smile. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't say anything, guys. This, there's two don't, magicians. Don't that isn't a spoiler. Yeah, there's two magicians. There you go. But there you go. Yeah. That dude. That movie is like one of my top top movies of all time. I could talk about that for 40 minutes. But <laughs> uh, the reason I bring that up is because Hugh Jackman was on this podcast with Tim Ferriss, and one of the things he talked about is his visual visualization technique that he does every day. Um, there's another tangent I can kind of go off on here, um, but I'll kind of hold it for right now. But his method of doing so is he texts his life coach every morning a past tense version of what that day would be. 
So for him, it would be today I did X, Y, and Z. Today I felt X, Y, and Z, right? Um, obviously talking about the coming day that hasn't happened yet, but in the past tense. And then the, at the end of the day, or I believe the next morning, whichever, he texts his life coach a rating on how effectively he lived up to that um, expectation of the day. Um, and personally, I've never been one for, whenever it comes to manifestation and visualization, I've all, again, like I said in the beginning, I'm a skeptic with those kind of things because it feels more abstract. It feels not really um, concrete. It's the same thing. I just said it twice in two different ways. But <laughs> I guess what the way I take that is more on a subconscious level where a lot of the times when we go about our days, we have these preconceived notions. And I guess this is like based in what we see ourselves or how we identify ourselves of how we think that day should go. And it might not be obviously explicit. You're not going to say like today I want to feel bad. Today I want to be angry about this, whatever it is. It's not going to be explicit like that. You don't think that. But there's definitely, at least in my opinion, a preconceived notion that everybody goes into the day with, with whatever they had in their head as expectations. And this sort of visualization technique grounds you in that you set your own expectations for how you want the day to go. And again, it sounds a little bit like wobbly, but in my opinion, I feel like that was like a solid way of kind of setting the expectations for yourself during the day. And then at the end of the day, having a way of checking yourself and figuring out if you actually lived up to it. Um, so I guess I just, I want to hear your thoughts on what you thought about like visualization, manifestation, how this ties into shifting, all that stuff. Yeah. Did, did he mention, so he mentioned it, um, the visualization technique on the day-to-day basis. Did he mention a more, uh, cause I'm sure he does it cause, uh, this is the more traditional way to do it is like you're imagining or visualizing your dream life and your, as well as visualizing your future self, like the new character of yourself doing their dream life. Like, did you only mention the day-to-day visualization or did you mention the bigger one as well? So he mentioned the day-to-day and for the bigger mm-hmm. picture, he, he thought of it more. So one thing he did say about that was whenever he's doing any, like when he's on set, whenever he's acting, he'll think about the way he wants that scene to look in a movie, like if it's on screen and then he'll go into it. Um, and he does that for all of his plays or anytime he's on stage. Um, I don't know if that's kind of what you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, so he might not have talked about it in that specific episode, and maybe he doesn't do it in general, but the normal way that visualization is done is more on the macro scale. Um, so to kind of to kind of make this a little bit more scientific, have you heard so he'll have something called the reticular activation system? I've seen the acronym and I've studied it in school, but I can't recall what it is right now. Something to do with sleep. Fair enough. Something to do with sleep. Maybe somewhere in there. Kind of. Okay. Let me, uh, let's, let's, uh, you might be thinking about rapid eye movement or are you, I don't know. There's maybe something else. Sleep is rapid REM sleep or something like that. But anyways, um, the reticular activation system is a part of your neurochemistry. It's a part of your neuroanatomy. It's a part of your brain that actually is kind of like a missile tracking system or like a satellite. And what it does is it basically searches whatever you give it. So in the same way that, let's say, for example, you get a red car and then you're driving and then all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere, or you get like a new Tesla, or you want to get a Tesla. Here's a good example. I've been wanting to get a Tesla for a while now. I've been thinking about it. Um, and so now whenever I'm driving on the, on the road, all I see are Teslas. Like I'm just like, Tesla, 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 Tesla. The part of your brain that allows that to happen is the reticular activation system, the RAS. That's what they call it. And so in the same way, like um, if you're trying to look for like your keys, 
and then you're like going through your drawers, you're looking under the couch and you're looking at all this other stuff. Literally like all you're seeing, like you're visualizing in the front of your eyes are like your keys. And so like, you, it just becomes like this, like, um, like this search mechanism, like this beacon that goes out there and it's just like keys, 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 where's the keys, where's the keys? Like it's like searching basically what's going on here. And so visualization, um, affirmations, confirmations, um, vision boards, a lot of these concepts have been hijacked um, by meditation or spiritualization or like people of the secret or the law of attraction. But what those actually are to make them not spiritual based is what they all are are just tools to program your reticular activation system. So that way when you're going on through your normal every single day life, your brain is actually searching for those opportunities and for those solutions to those problems that you give it. Another example of a reticular activation system is let's say for example, you're thinking about encoding this is very popular, where like you have a certain problem that you're trying to figure out, and then you're like, I can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, or like a math problem or something. And then you go to bed, and then sometimes you dream about it, or like you wake up and you're like, oh, boom, Eureka, I got the answer. Or you go to the shower and you're like, oh, snap, I got the answer to that problem that I was thinking about. What has happened there is that you fed your reticular activation system that specific problem, it got programmed, and then your reticular activation system in the background went to work on trying to solve that problem for you. And so visualization or like affirmations or like you know writing your day in the past tense, all those are just tools to program your reticular activation system. So that way as you go through your day, your brain is automatically looking for ways in order to make it helpful to achieve your ultimate goal. And so that's what really like to like demystify all of it. That's really all it is, like law of attraction and all of that stuff is a, literally a tool that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created in our brains that allows us to be able to like, it's like a heat seeking missile. It's like you feed it a problem and it's gonna go to work on trying to find the solution to that problem. I see, okay. So how would you, how would you tie this into identity shifting, I guess, or forming your identity? Yeah, so that's where the whole, this actually, this actually works perfectly together is because when you have a character that you're trying to become, let's say you're trying to, you're trying to manifest more money in your life, right? Let's say that guess what you're trying to do. What you would do is you would tell yourself like, hey, I am, um, you know, I, I, I am open to making money. I am, uh, uh, I am worthy of having money. Like you're trying to break different beliefs and stuff like that. Right? You have different affirmations that you're telling yourself. So what you're telling your RAS is that, hey, we are right now trying to seek opportunities to make money. And then when you go through your daily daily life, you are going to then find opportunities that are gonna allow you to make money because your brain's like, boom, found it, boom, found it, boom, found it. And so when you're trying to shift your identity, you need to feed your subconscious and your RAS system who it is that you're trying to become. So that way, as you're going through your daily life, your brain is finding those snippets and opportunities of the day where you can become that version of yourself or where you can have that opportunity to create your dream life. And all of that happens through your subconscious. Got you. Okay. And I, I, I guess to go off that, Atomic Habits quoted everywhere, but in, in when it talks about like systems versus goals, I feel like uh, another practical way for people to actually like put this into play is kind of shifting away from, I wanted like having it, obviously having to-do lists and having goals that you want to achieve every day is great, but making sure that, like you're saying, you think of it more on a high level and a top-down approach, you outline what those goals, what the overarching theme of those goals are and what it is that you need to do on a daily, day-to-day basis to form your identity, I guess, 
And what, one way that yeah. uh, he, he mentions it in, in the book is just if you want to start working out more, you don't necessarily, obviously you have to set some sort of schedule for yourself. You need to be consistent. But the, the way he words it is you, you tell yourself that I, wanna, I am a healthy person. Like right now I am a healthy, fit person. And through that, yeah. you kind of trick your brain into starting to look, I, I guess in the same way you start looking for those ways of feeding that identity that, okay, mm-hmm. if I do this today or if I eat this today, I'm going against the way that I kind of define myself or the way that I, I want to be. And because of that, you'll kind of, instead of having to feel more, um, I guess the, the hardest part is when you are going through that day, say you want to be fit, you see that cake, you see that cookie, and you, you kind of give yourself an excuse. And I feel like doing it in, in the way that you define yourself to be, I am a healthy person, when you see that cookie or cake, it doesn't feel like you're missing out on anything. It feels more the opposite. It's like fulfilling. It's like, okay, I'm doing something positive for myself instead of thinking of it the other way where it's like I'm keeping something positive away from me or something that I would right. away away from me. Um, it, so it kind of becomes like part of your identity because you've told yourself that I am a healthy person. And so you're naturally like, oh, I'm acting in line with my identity. Because the thing about the brain is that your brain can't actually act outside of its identity. So like if you say, for example, like I'm bad at math and you truly believe, like your brain truly believes that you're bad at math, it's literally impossible. It's out of integrity for you to actually become good at math. Because then the brain's like, no, we can't be good at math. Because if we are good at math, then my life view doesn't make sense because I'm bad at math. And so the, that's where like self, self-sabotage cycles come into place where even if somebody know, like it's, it's crazy how the mind works. Even if somebody can be good at math and get an A on the test, the brain will purposely self-sabotage and get like an F on the test in order to stay in line with this integrity that we're bad at math. And so that's why who you are as a person is so important because your brain literally cannot act out of integrity of what it is. And so if you're a healthy person, you will, like your brain was going to feel like, hey, I have to, like there's certain things I have to do in order to stay in integrity with myself. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. So I, uh, one question that came to mind, um, when I was studying for the MCAT, <laughs> before, I, before I dropped that whole endeavor, um, <laughs> before I found my guy and decided not to do med school, um, the, one of the concepts was, one of, in the book, it was just talking about the science behind that exact com- concept about self-sabotage. Um, I said sabotage instead of sabotage. Mm-hmm. But there's, in, uh, in the education system, it's a similar way where when the, when the teacher has a certain stereotype or expectation of how a certain student should perform, through studies, it's been shown that that student or that, that group of people would perform less, Right or their, their expectations would be lower and they'd perform less. So to go off that, do you feel like in identity shifting, there is a level of how much you have to control your environment or the people you're around or uh, like how, how much do you think the environment has an impact on you shaping your identity? Do you need a brand new, like, like kind of take yourself out from certain friend groups? Like how, how do you think that works? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a solid question. I actually recorded a podcast episode about this um, a couple couple weeks ago. It's not a plug for it's my podcast, plug. but if you guys want to check it out, <laughs> Yasin, I should link, podcast on link down below. 
link in the description. Uh, but this is relevant because there's a story that comes to my mind. My, my brother, he lives in Orlando right now. He's uh, 21 years old. And he's actually in about four days from now picking up shop and he's going to move to New York City with his friend. Ooh, like, okay. Just like picking up like everything he has and he's just leaving. He has no idea where he's going to get Airbnb for a month and he's going to try to find a job and an apartment and figure out life in New York City from there. Wow. And so that's why this concept comes to mind. That's why I recorded the podcast episode is because to answer your question, changing your identity can be done without changing your environment. The reason why it's just more difficult is because every construct and every um, environment, like every habit that you have is very linked to like your environment. So like the people are talking to you as if you're Sohail version 1.0. Your habits are as if you're Yasin version 1.0. Uh, the people that all know you are acting and treating you like you're Yasin and Sohail version 1.0, right? And so as soon as you try and become somebody else, they're gonna be pulling you down and saying like, hey, 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 what do you mean? Like you can't, like you're somebody who always stays up late at night. Like why are you trying to be this early bird person? Like. You think you're better than us? Like they, they pull you down because they themselves are not evolving. And so can it be done to change your identity and become a very different person in your existing environment? It can be done. Is it easier to do when you just literally pick up shop and you don't, like every person that you meet for my brother in New York City, nobody knows what his past is. Nobody knows if he's a morning person or a night person. Nobody knows if he's a hard worker or a lazy person. Um, like my, for example, my brother in the past has been known to be a little bit of a slacker. And so whenever he's, now he's gotten his, his act together. But whenever anybody meets him, they're like, oh, Abdullah, what, like, why are you working hard now? Uh, you were always a slacker in the past. And so they're always reaffirming, they're trying to remind you of like your past. And you're like, that's not me anymore. Like, why are you trying to put those expectations on me when I'm not the person anymore? And so if you can get rid of those people and just not have that input coming in, then it's like you can literally start a new life. It's like you're reborn again in a different city or a different environment. And then you can become the next version of yourself that you're trying to become. Yeah, and you see that a lot in moving from high school to college. People do a complete 180. They're different people. You, they try things that you've never seen before, um, and it's it's just because it's a new environment. They don't have. There's no set expectations of who they are, or what they should be doing. So it's like I can do whatever I want. Um, yeah. And I, I think personally, at least in the past couple of months, especially with quarantine, I've been at home a lot more. I, I mean, not a lot more. There's been four times where I've left the house, so I've been <laughs> at home all the time. But yeah. um, personally, I've not been the best with like keeping up with people and just kind of my, like my social life in general. Um, but one thing that I've learned, I think, from, from these past four months is the concept of, obviously, in, in Islam, we talk about khalwa. Um, and is this, if I just quoted the wrong word, you have to talk to me after this, but khalwa is the concept of seclusion, correct? So yeah, it's, it's usually khulwa with a dhamma on it, but khalwa, khulwa. Okay, khulwa. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, it's all good. <laughs> but the the concept of kind of detaching yourself and spending time with yourself to just reflect, to just think about who you are, what you're doing, and reflect over the things you've done. Um, I think when quarantine wasn't a thing and you go about your day to day life, my version of that was not being on social media. And I would still go about like obviously talking to people, going to college, coming back. Um, and for me, I was like, okay, I'm doing my own khulwa through the social media detox, right? Um, but it wasn't until, and you get a glimpse of this in Itikaf too, where you kind of seclude yourself for 10 days and you realize at the end, like that's the true meaning of like being on your own, 
being away from everything and just getting time to yourself. Um, and I, I think in the past couple months, being at home all the time has kind of taught me that a lot of that identity shaping, identity molding can be done with your same group of friends with the same environment as long as you're realistically giving yourself those breaks or those opportunities to kind of take a step back, take time for yourself and reassess who you are. And I guess, in the, like you were saying, reaffirming yourself in the identity you want. So you kind of, any, any um, attachments to the outside world that, not defirms, that's not the right word, but kind of put down the way you want to be, you kind of push those off for a bit. You kind of reset your mind and then go back out into the world. Um, but I've always been fascinated yeah. by the concept of khulwa and how like yeah. how easy it is, easy it is, quote unquote, to implement in your life, but how easy it is to also just completely excuse it and think it's you're doing enough when really you're not. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know if khulwa uh, for four months is, uh, is, is, is recommended <laughs> across the board. <laughs> it might be, I think there's like a level of like, like, like this guy's become a monk. It's like you know this guy is like oh, detached man. from the rest of the world yeah, and dude, became for, like super monk. For Itikaf, when we when we had that first ten days experience, we were like, all right, um, Sheikh Mukhtar Magharawi used to do twenty days or thirty days, I believe, at the masjid of Itikaf, and we were like, yeah, we'll go for fifteen, we'll try for twenty, and uh, we said that for this year, and here we are, four four months. So uh, there we go. Four got, got what yeah, I asked for. It's a law of attraction, bro. You put it out in the universe. <laughs> haram, haram, please don't get on me for that. Of course, we know everything comes from Allah's front. That's not the universe. I'm just making a joke there. Um, but no, you're right, because I used to call it, I still call it, I call it sometimes the fortress of solitude from, from Superman. You know, he has like the fortress of solitude that he goes to. Um, but what I found is in order to make that time that you have, because if you're Legitimately, if you're running a business or if you're doing things day to day and you're trying to be like a normal person, not like four months in, in Khulwa, is you usually get maybe like 15, 20 minutes in the morning, 15, 20 minutes in the evening to be like properly by yourself and trying to um, reaffirm your identity. And so what I did for my students and clients is I created something called the Evolution of Self Workbook. And in there, what we do is you basically uh, cement who it is that you're becoming, what your dream life is supposed to be, why it is that you're doing that. And you have kind of like your affirmations and confirmations and everything written in one specific like document. And then you print that out. And then you basically read through that 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. So that way it kind of grounds you to kind of be like, okay, all of this craziness is going on. People are telling me that I am a certain way, but this is who I really want to become. And um, it's kind of like, I haven't watched the movie, but there's a movie, um, there's a dude, uh, I'm not really big on movies, guys, so I apologize if some of you guys are. I'm, I'm terrible at this. There's a guy, the comedian Adam Sandler. He has a movie called uh, 40 First Dates or something like that. It's a rom-com, so I wouldn't recommend watching it. But the, the premise of the movie, and the reason why I'm using this as an example, is that he's trying to get married to this lady, and this lady has this sort of amnesia where every single time she goes to sleep, she wakes up the next morning without any memory of who she is, what she's doing, or anything like that. And so she's, he's trying to get married to this lady and he's trying to get her to like fall in love with him. But she had, just has no idea like who she is every single morning. So like even though they have like the best time together, the next morning she'll wake up and she has no idea who he is basically. And so the reason I'm saying that premise is not because you guys should watch rom-coms because Haram Police is totally not, it's, a, it's a, totally against the rules here. But the reason I'm using the example is because in a funny way, our memories are very similar. It's like you go to bed and then you wake up and you're just like, oh, who am I again? Who am I trying to become? 
and you fall back into your habits. And so having that fortress of solitude and having that khulwa, I found especially like maybe before the whole world wakes up, kind of like, you know, before Fajr, that's where, you know, Qiyamul Layl comes into place here as well. Um, or after Fajr, when in today's time, when everybody else is just knocking out after Fajr, you can kind of seclude yourself a little bit more there. So having that time by yourself and kind of just looking back and having those documents, that way you can actually utilize the time. Otherwise, if you're just trying to do khulwa without an agenda, then you could end up in a formal khulwa and just be like, okay, I'm still, I still trying to remind myself who I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> No, that's a great point. I, I think I might ne- definitely need to make that more concrete page of things that I want to do. Um, personally, I've been doing uh, August Bradley. We talked about him. Um, he has this thing called an alignment zone where you kind of outline what it is that you believe your pillars for yourself and things that you hold close to you. So like on a week to week basis, I'll check that just to make sure I'm like kind of keeping in line with myself. But I think on a daily basis, having something like that would definitely be more beneficial um, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. You know, what comes to my mind is I want to bring it back to the Hugh Jackman um, example because hey, we're on, a, on we're on we're on movie star uh, on on a roll here. So I'm well down to talk about Hugh Jackman, Jackman man. <laughs> um, what comes to my mind and the reason I was asking you earlier about the macro visualization versus the day to day visualization is because what he's doing there on a day to day basis is very different than the normal visualization technique that I talked about earlier. What he's doing there is actually a lot more practical than just the whole RAS system that we were talking about. Um, have you heard of the four levels of competence? I don't think so. So there's four levels of learning. And so any sort of learning or any sort of like um, uh, thing that you're trying to make into a habit, there's four levels of it. There is unconscious incompetence, which means that you suck and you don't even know you suck. There is conscious incompetence, which means that you suck and you are conscious of the fact that you suck. And then there is conscious competence, which means that you're good, but you have to really be like full on, like use your entire brain in order to be competent. And then the highest level is unconscious competence. So there's two variables, but then they just get flipped on either end of the spectrum, right? Of the the grid basically. And so the highest level is where you're good and you're able to be good unconsciously. Hmm. And that is the highest level of skill acquisition and so whenever you see any basketball players like when you know um, Kobe or LeBron or you know, Kobe's long gone or MJ or whatever we're talking about here, the reason they practice the moves over and over and over and over and over and over again is because what they're doing, and then they also utilize visualization and those kinds of things, is because what they're doing is they're trying to get to the level of unconscious competence. So that way they don't even have to think because your subconscious mind is so much faster than your conscious mind, right? Like whenever you're about to put your hand on a fire, before you even know what's going on, your hand's already moved. And if your brain had to wait for your conscious mind to do that, you'd be like, huh, my hand is burning. I think maybe we should move our hand by now. Yeah, we should move our hand. Okay, let's move our hand. That's consciousness. But unconsciousness, the mind is so much faster on the unconscious level. And so what you're doing when you're doing day-to-day visualization, like the way that you talked about with Hugh Jackman, what he's actually doing is he's practicing consciously in his mind the way that he wants the world, the, the day to go. So that way, as he's going through the day, he can have unconscious competence in his, what he's trying to do. In the same way when he's trying to act, the reason why he's visualizing that is because that way he can basically be unconsciously competent in when he's acting. So he doesn't have to con- give conscious effort to try and think about how to do the acting role, essentially. So he's basically able to do it subconsciously without even having to think, and therefore it just becomes like a natural thing that you're doing, and it becomes a part of who you are. Uh, so I, I just think, thought I'd share that. No, 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 that makes sense. That, that brought to mind, uh, I was actually listening to your, I, I said this before, I was listening to your podcast that you did yesterday. And you mentioned how 
the difference between and i'm probably gonna butcher what you said so restate it for me uh <laughs> the difference between those pro level athletes and uh day to day uh you said joe joe something um the difference joe, is, schmo? joe schmo there we go the difference between the two <laughs> is that the the olympian repeats those same fundamental practices over and over again to the point where it becomes i guess subconscious second nature yeah absolutely yeah i mean that uh that's a little bit of a different topic i was talking about like the reason why the people who that you think are advanced are the reason they're advanced is because they don't know any secret knowledge or any secret is just because they do the basics so often and they just perfect the basics over and over and over again um, i'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more because it's a it's a recurring yeah i didn't want to open that box what i like to talk about <laughs> but um but for the purpose of this one that's what i thought i would mention is because what he was doing on a day-to-day basis in terms of like setting a plan and then reflecting on the plan and messaging his life coach, that's actually a lot more practical. Because I know sometimes even the RAS thing can kind of go into the level of like, he's talking about neuroanatomy and like, hey, you know, we're going to like a little bit more abstract. But the practice example of like you just practicing your craft over and over again or planning out what it is that you want to have happen, that's just like basic planning and then kind of visualizing that so you can execute the day without having to think too much about it. I felt like things, uh, especially when it comes to planning your day like that, it definitely takes a lot of the anxiety, especially out of it too, because um, you have all these expectations for how the day should go and you just feel like you don't know what's coming. Even if it's like staying yeah. at home, finishing a to-do list, right? There's still like some level of like uncertainty that's there. And I feel like a big part of this is just the fact that you taking those, you having that expectation of how the day should go will eliminate any reason to worry and obviously this isn't a cure to anxiety um don't quote me yeah. on that but um it's definitely a way to practically like you said implement it on a day-to-day basis and sort of put yourself in the direction that you want to go um yeah totally. it allows you to be less reactionary the, the reason why you feel that decrease in anxiety is because you feel like you've taken control over the day so that nobody else can come and interrupt you so rather than you being reactionary you're very much, um, you're proactive. So instead of being reactive, you're being proactive and you're like, okay, this is how I want my day to go. I'm setting the niyyah. I'm setting the intention, right? We know, right? all actions are judged by their intentions. In the same way, when you set a niyyah, what it is that you're trying to do, that's why if you know the old school, um, like the old school, like uh, people who come from like back home, before they pray salah, what they actually do is they're like, uh, I'm going to pray for rak'ah, for salah, zuhr. Like, that's not part of the deen. Like, if you guys are still doing that, sorry to break your, break your bow, but um, you don't have to do that. Uh, the scholars have said that you just making wudu for salah is enough to classify your niyyah for salah. So you don't have to be like, here before I start praying zuhr salah, I'm praying for rak'ah, zuhr salah, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah. It's like saying yeah, like, um, saying great. There you go. Say, so hell's old school. You know what I'm talking about. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, um, people say grace before they eat. It's like, mm. <laughs> oh God, give this food. because That's where it all comes from. Like it all stems from the same thing. But um, the reason why people do that and the reason why that concept comes into place is because when you set an intention for something, you know that you're going to be able to actually be proactive in accomplishing that thing rather than reactionary and having something else take you. Because if you don't know what you're going to do at 3 p.m., you're more likely if somebody, if your friend messages you, yo, you want to go eat ice cream at 3 p.m., you had no idea what you were going to do at 3 p.m. anyways. So you might as well just go have ice cream with your friend versus if in the morning you say, no, at 3 p.m. I'm going to do this exact thing. Then you become very um, proactive about what it is that you want to do with your day. And then that allows you to basically get the most use and the most um, productivity out of your entire day. 
and the uh, the concept of um, intentions and purpose and everything you do that that's a whole another box we can probably touch on in, in another podcast. But just one thing I wanted mm-hmm. to mention about that is just the the just like we talk about we like beneficial knowledge and how we strive to kind of gain that experiential knowledge, especially in Islam. Just not just learning for the sake of learning, but learning for implementing it in our lives. This is again a great way of doing that because you you have a way of practically making sure that everything you do is in line with the rulings of Islam and your Islamic identity is also being fulfilled as well as your deen or your dunya identity, I guess. Um, you, mean, you mean like when you plan out your day and like kind of map it out and visualize it or kind of just set that intention for the day? You mean like that way you can make sure that you're making the time for the deen and the dunya? Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yeah. And it, when it comes to identity molding and identity shifting, you make sure that that's also like a conscious part of it all. And I feel like that that's a great way of like bringing it all together and keeping yourself on track. Um, yeah, thousand percent. I think um, the reason why I'm, uh, you guys might notice, you guys listeners, you guys might notice that I'm a little bit more uh, maybe on my soapbox today or I'm like really just like it sounds like I'm really going at it is because this is a topic that I'm not only on top of my mind recently because I'm making a lot of YouTube videos and podcast episodes about it but primarily because as I coach people to either start their own businesses or you know try and achieve whatever goal that they might have or find their career or you know grow and expand in, in the world what I found is that I might give two people the exact same plan and one person can be successful and the other person ends up failing. And the reason I became obsessed with this years ago and this concept of identity shifting and mindset and like neuroanatomy and like all those kinds of crazy topics that I've talked about today is because I became obsessed with the question of why is that the case? Like how is it that I can give two people the exact same plan? So it can't be the plan because the plan is exactly the same, right? Exactly the same step-by-step process. And one person can be successful and the other person isn't. And so as I started to become obsessed with that question, the answer to the question came to mind, which was over the years, years of you know looking into this stuff, which is that the core fundamental it becomes the identity, the mindset of the person and the way that they're, it's, it's not the plan, it's the person executing the plan. And so at the end of the day, in my philosophy or my the the upcoming madhab that I'm uh, currently working on called the new mastery madhab. <laughs> Stefan Alatato saying that. There you go, bro. <laughs> hey, madhab. Just so you guys know, there's a literal definition of madhab, and then there's a linguist there's a linguistic definition, aka the literal definition, and then there's the ishtilaq definition. That's the that's the term for the sciences definition. So um, I'm, ta- I'm talking about madhab in a linguistic sense over here, guys. So please don't. Don't come in and beat me up. Um, so the the philosophy over here that we're creating is the dunya mastery mindset. All of it starts with the very core of mental programming and fixing your mindset. Because if I try and help somebody become a better salesperson, if I try to help somebody get the career that they want, if I try and help somebody get the marriage that they want, if I try and help somebody find their dream partner, if I help try to help somebody lose a hundred pounds and you know get six pack abs, I give them the plan and then they don't end up following the plan. And the problem is always the mindset. And so that's kind of the first thing that I always tackle, which is like, okay, let's tackle the mindset issue first. And then after that, we can worry about the strategy because it's identity plus strategy equals success. And so you give the person the strategy, the same exact strategy, but if their identity is messed up at how they see themselves and they don't see themselves as worthy to be able to even execute the strategy, then forget it. That person is not going to be able to take action on the actual strategy that's great that's great so we'll uh we'll uh, link 
Yasim's uh, program down below, his uh, podcast and everything. So if you are wanting to get that identity shift in, in, in your life, then definitely check that stuff out. Um, we are approaching 50 minutes. So was there anything else you wanted to, I guess, talk about in terms of identity shifting or just make sure you have clarified or... Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, like I said, I uh, today's today's episode was a little bit me on a soapbox. I was really just going at it. I know Sohail was asking me uh, a lot of questions about this. And so I'm sure we're going to explore this a little bit more. I'm really interested in future episodes to get Sohail's thoughts on, because Sohail and I haven't, I mean, you and I really haven't, Sohail, talked about these topics in depth. I know you and I have our crazy post-fudger <laughs> walks where we talk about all sorts of deep and abstract uh, where you topics. you school me a- uh, mental <laughs> mental models. That, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't, and obviously I, I, I always uh, mean it from like a, you know, a good place that it's not like I'm trying to, uh, you know, teach you in any regard because I have a lot to learn from you as well. But the point being is, <laughs> the point being is that um, today's episode is more of, I'm really interested in the future getting Sohail's thoughts like, what are some of the hangups that he has with identity shifting? And what are some of the things that we can, I can help clarify? Because sometimes I feel like I have an idea of what it should be, but then some people have hangups on either questions about it or like blocks that, blocks that they're having with understanding the concept of identity shifting. So maybe in the future we can kind of dive into maybe doing like a coaching session, live coaching session where we like shift yeah. Sohail's identity live. Yeah, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm down. I'll put my whole life out there and then... <laughs> No, um, this is a good one, bro. I really appreciate you, uh, us being able to talk about this and kind of giving, giving the uh, the light of day for this kind of topic. Yeah, man. I and again, just to, just to preface for anybody that's listening, um, we're not experts. We're not like super up here people. We're just throwing around ideas that we come across, things we've learned, and just trying to have a conversation about that. And if people benefit, that's great. If not, and we're just talking to ourselves and nobody's listening, that's great too. Um, inshallah, whatever we said, um, has some benefit. If, if it does, then, uh, that's great. If not, then forgive us the, the usual, yeah. the usual thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, uh, inshallah, we'll do this again next week. And, Absolutely. Um, any, any last words? Uh, I would say guys, if you like, like Sohil was saying, if you guys really like this, um, you know, shoot your brother some love, you know, either subscribe to our podcast, you know, download the podcast. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Um, you know, five stars are much appreciated, but we won't influence you in any way, shape, or form to have to give us five star reviews. <laughs> no, 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 no. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. That's it. Or otherwise, so hell's gonna come and find you guys, um, and then he'll call in me and back up, and we'll, uh, I'll bring my my uh, baseball bat. And uh, yeah, no, I'll supervise dip. from the house because I can't I can't dip. But um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll You're tell you where to go. go. No, guys, but uh, this was awesome. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be doing this every single week on Mondays, and then we're gonna be releasing them on all platforms that podcasts are available. And so, really follow us, you know, follow us along if you guys kind of resonated with these topics. And we're looking forward, inshallah, to catching you guys in the next one. All right, sounds good. All right, do all right. Salam alaikum.